thank you for questions and for thinking deeply. Because what we're talking about here is not merely philosophical. It is absolutely real. And you can think deeply, and the truth is not in jeopardy. Jesus Christ is not in jeopardy. Amen and amen. Well, this morning we're continuing. Um, and uh, Oh, and I should mention that Ascension Day this year um, is May the 18th. So it's something that, you know, Baptists, uh, I don't know that we sort of mark and celebrate some of these things as overtly as, as some other traditions. But it's something I want to make sure that we make note of. Is Ascension Day, May 18th, and also uh, Pentecost Sunday as well, when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, which we talked about in our series on Acts. So we come now to the uh, continuing of our series. And, you know, some of the things that we've been talking about are, are quite amazing. And I don't know if you've ever used this phrase, what the... <laughs> dot, dot, dot. And... I know I have, and maybe, I actually, I just stop there. I just, what the, um, and, and sometimes you do a double take, because you see something, or you hear something, and you look, and then you go, wait a second, and you go again, and you, you, you go, what, and you, you come back, and you ask the person again, because some things, like what we are talking about, about heaven, and these sorts of subjects are quite fantastic, and they're absolutely out of the ordinary, they are extraordinary. And so we wonder what exactly is going on. And we want what we're talking about to be true. In fact, we need it to be true. But really, the question that we're wrestling with this morning is, how is it possible? We talk about heaven. We're talking about eternal life. We're talking about the physical bodily resurrection of human beings. And the the question we're wrestling with this morning is, how is that possible? What kind of bodies uh, will we have? How is it possible and what kind of bodies will we have? And you'll be happy to know or relieved to know that that is a question that has been uh, prevalent throughout uh, history as we've been discussing this subject throughout um, history since the beginning of Christ's resurrection. And so I invite you again, as I'm talking here this morning, if you have a, a thought, a question related to this, that you text or email it in to ask at westviewchurch.ca, or later you can stand when we take time for this, and you can ask your question, and we'll have a microphone for you. So I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, you know, this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, in Greece, and we're going to go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? This is exactly right out of, out of Scripture. And, and Paul recognizes that the church in Corinth is having these kinds of questions. How are the dead raised? What kind of body is it going to be? And essentially, that question that I'm sure he heard was, uh, underneath that was the connotation, you know, I can't imagine that, Paul. I, I can't imagine it. I, it sounds nice. It would be nice if it was true, but I can't imagine it. How is that possible? And it reminds me when I hear this, it reminds me of what happened to uh, Peter and James when they were brought before the Sanhedrin and they wanted the, the sort of all the, the legal and the Pharisees and religious leaders wanted to know how this person was, was healed. And they're going, how is that possible? 
what's going on? I don't, I don't understand. And what they're really saying here now to Paul is, Paul, we hear what you're saying, but where's the, where's the reference? We don't have a reference point for this. We don't have experience about this. So how can it be possible? And it's true again for us today in the sense that we really want it to be true, but can we explain it? Is there a way to explain it in such a way so as to bolster your confidence and my confidence that this could actually be true? Is there a reference for it? Well, I was exploring this concept of evidence. And there are science people in our congregation who are going to be able to elaborate on some of these principles much more than I am. But uh, evidence is something that has some outward uh, appearance, outward uh, accomplishment, or outward indication of something that is true. And evidence usually involves the senses, human senses. We like evidence, something that involves our senses. We also like empirical data for those that are maybe in IT or the sciences or the sort of zero and ones people. We like empirical data, which is, these are things that are based on observance and experience. Empirical data means it is something that can be verified or disproved and even repeatable. Now I'm in the land of science. Is there a way for science and faith to come together? It, can we actually believe that? I mean, we'd love to know what's going on here. Well, we know that there are things that are repeatable. We've had a season of memorial services and funerals. We know that death is something that happens. We even know that failing health is something that's real. We know that decomposition is real. When Kimberly and I were in the Congo and we were on the Fimi River, it was the color of tea. If you stayed in the river too long, it would color your skin because of the constant decomposition of the uh, ecosystem that is there. So we know that's happening. We actually know that when our bodies die and we put them into the ground, we know that they decompose. They go back to what? They go back, can you believe it, to dust, of all things. So there is actually some, already some building of some evidence and some empirical data and something that can be observed, something that's repeatable, but what about resurrection? What about life with, uh, uh, forever without time, or within time, but without end? What about heaven? How is that possible? And what kind of bodies could we possibly have? Where would we get a reference for that? Well, Paul takes us and the congregation in Corinth to answering this. Verse 36, and I'm just going to pause there for a second. Paul is kind of an intense fellow. When you submit your questions, I won't start this way. But Paul starts with fool, because he's kind of passionate at this point. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. 
So Paul is now building his response to this question, and he's building his argument, and he's using creation and agriculture as a metaphor to explain what is actually true. He's talking about germination, but now he's talking about germination of an eternal uh, body. How bodies can be changed. Not that they grow out of when we put a body into the ground. Not that a resurrection body grows out of that body, like a tree seed, an acorn, or something grows out of that. But he is using this as a metaphor to explain that you put something into the ground and it only comes to life after it has been buried. And that it's a different kind of body that comes to life than the, the body that you put into the ground. And he's highlighting here already in using this reference of creation that is there, he, he is making the point that it is the creator that gives life to that seed and also the creator who will give life to this resurrected body. We continue. Verse 38. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. Not all flesh is alike, but there is one flesh for human beings, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are both heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly body, heavenly is one thing, and that of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. Indeed, star differs from star in glory. So Paul is continuing to build his response to this question of how is it possible and what kind of bodies. He's continuing to build his response in reference to the created order. And what he is now doing is he is describing the reality that there are different kinds or different categories for bodies. Physical bodies. There's different kinds and categories. We know this. There's earthly bodies, so there are physical bodies that are on earth, and there are different kinds and categories that are on earth, fish and animals and humans. And there are different kinds of uh, and, and categories in, in the heavens, in this case in the uh, constellations in the sky. Sun, and there's stars, there's moon, there's galaxies. I mean, it's magnificent, and it's entirely different than that. And then he says that there's different glory. So the glory of a fish, the, the proper honor and dignity and, and, and well-being of a fish is very different. Dignity of an, of an animal, and the proper uh, you know, uh, honor and dignity of a star, very different. A star shines, a dog barks, a dog has no concern about shining, a star has no concern about barking. The glory of them is vastly different. It's wonderful and it's beautiful. There's a continuity, but there's a discontinuity, which is what he's pointing out. There's a continuity in terms of there are these different kinds and categories, but there's a discontinuity in terms of what goes into the ground is not the same as what comes out of the ground. He's building a response. How is it possible and what kind of bodies are we going to have? He continues in verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a physical body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. 
So the raised bodies are a new, different category of body. These new, this new category he calls a spiritual body. But they are physical bodies in a different way. And you look at the table that he's using here to describe it. They're perishable, dishonored. There's weakness, there's sin, there's things that are not... It's physical, but then there's also an imperishable, a glory that is of this new body. And he calls it a spiritual body because it is still physical, but it is now a different category of, if you could say, material. And if we have one, then we have the other. This new body will be one that will not decay. This new body will be one that is not temporal. It has a different status and capability. See, the problem, friends, is that when you see currently, the problem is that sin, like alienation from God and going our own way, and death have taken up residence in humankind. The spiritual forces of wickedness are mucking around and causing us to do things that are not good for us and alienating us, so it has taken up residence. That's the problem. Being a human is good. God said so. Being an embodied human is good. When he created, he said it's good. Being in community is very good. The problem is the alienation and and, and death and the corruption and those sorts of things. So the resurrected body is not going to be just a, simply a return to something. It's actually rescue and redemption from all of that. It's the final divine permanent deletion of all the garbage and just this purification and then a body that is no longer temporal or no longer will decay because even death will, in that sense, is, is removed. It's gone. It's deleted. But how can we be sure that we will inherit such a body? Verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, and here you, you got to understand he's referring to Adam as a representation of, a, of humans, as a type. Not just an individual. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam, now this is Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the physical and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As with the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. How can we be sure? It's a matter of likeness and of source. We know that in this body, we are born, B-O-R-N-E, or we wear, we bear the image of a human being that comes from dust. And to dust, this physical body will return. 
I am here to tell you that as a matter of fact that I have witnessed and testify this morning. And what he is saying is, just as that is the case, there was also a man from heaven, the second Adam, who is a life-giving spirit. And when we bear, we wear Jesus Christ, we have a new birth and a new being that will come. And just as Jesus Christ is alive, so too we will be raised to life eternal. You were given the state you have right now. You had no... um, You had no involvement in you being here. I mean, on earth. I mean, here this morning, yes. <laughs> People argue and get all hot and bothered about rights, except the most important things. You were given your state in the first place, and just also you are given if you receive the eternal immortal state as well. You were born once without any choice of yours, and if you are willing to receive and follow Jesus Christ, you too will be given this other state, which is eternal life in Jesus Christ that begins now. So what kind of body and how is it possible? Well, Jesus is the example. How is it possible and what kind of body will you have? Well, my answer is that Jesus is the prototype of the kind of body you will have. So if I was answering this question with a single phrase, if somebody was going to answer that, uh, ask me that question, I would say, what kind of body are you going to have? I would say, it's going to be exactly the same, except different. And I'm going to elaborate on that, but when we look at Jesus as the prototype, it They could see him. They eventually recognized him after the the stun of what was going on. They could hear what he was saying. He spoke and he ate. He interacted uh, with people. It was exactly the same, but there was something else going on. Well, how is this possible? We understand what Paul is saying is that the Trinity, through Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, the Trinity will bestow this new resurrected body, this immortality, and eventually this new resurrected body will give it to you. So in essence, Jesus is both what I would call the make or the maker and the model. He's the one who will make it, and he is the model of it. And so when we want to talk about what is the evidence, what is the empirical data, I would say that actually there's a garden all around us, a garden of hope all around us as we observe, if we are willing to notice and observe the created order all around us. The magnificent universe of the external world, or even if you're in the medical field, the magnificent um, beauty and magnitude of the internal universe. Somebody asks somebody out there how many hairs are on a a, a lung, or or those sorts of things, like the the DNA and how it regenerates. I uh, I mean, come on. It's actually all around us. If we notice the evidence. But the evidence also is that life is not perfect. We know that. All of us know that. We experience that. Life is not perfect. But those who follow Jesus Christ, who put on, who bear the image of Jesus Christ, those are the ones who receive already the seed, which is the Holy Spirit. John says the Holy Spirit, you receive the Holy Spirit as a down payment, but then you are sealed and you receive immortality or eternal life already in the present. 
So you are a seed as yet unplanted. So these human beings are seeds of promise. All the promise is yours. But the reality is that people face challenges and difficulties all the time. Disabilities. MS. Health issues, physical issues, mental health issues, genetic issues. When Jesus was resurrected, and he... Thomas was doubting, and it's brilliant that Thomas was a doubter because Thomas represents a lot of the Q&R that we have. It's an opportunity for, for us to hear when we're doubting. And Thomas says, I, I, you know, and so I can't believe it. And so Jesus showed him his hands, and Jesus had the scars from his hands from the nails. But I want to tell you that what was going on there is that those were marks, but our outward bodies, our, our, our ailments and our fragilities and those sorts of things do not define who we are. Your, uh, 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 your MS or your mental health or your physical health or your genetic uh, disposition and, and those sorts of things don't define who you are. When Jesus was resurrected, the mark was there, but he was no longer traumatized by it. Exactly the same except different. We might recognize, oh yeah, I might recognize some of the, those aspects, but they are no longer impairments at all. For those who are born again, seeds of promise. And I think we also, what this does is it informs how we view heaven. And when I talk about heaven, really, when we, people, when we talk about heaven, I think I need to clear up what we're talking about. What Scripture talks about either is the sky, or when they talk about heaven, it's the abode where God is right now. What you could say is the intermediate state. When people die, they go to heaven. They go to be with God where he is now. But when we talk about um, physical bodily resurrection, that is yet a stage yet to come where Jesus Christ returns and he restores, redeems all of creation and human bodies and human beings are restored to this new resurrected body on a new earth, under a new sky, in time without end. So when we look at someone who has died in Jesus Christ as a follower of Jesus Christ, they are in heaven, they are in presence of Christ, in the abode of God, but there is still unfinished business. Because death has not been put to an end. Sickness and unhealth, living and so on, has not yet been put to an end. But I want to tell you as clearly as I'm standing here, one day it will be. One day it will be. This is what Paul's building his argument about. I want to pause here for Q&R. If you have question and answer, and then um, maybe, T.Y., could you bring my water up when you come? I should just bring it with me, I guess. The, the two staples of, of preaching on Sunday morning, Kleenex and water. I brought Kleenex this time. I just forgot my water. But if you have a question, you could text or email it, or you could stand where you are. We'll bring a microphone to you. Um, I'm pretty passionate about this. Um, in this series, I will thank you. 
I don't know of anything more real and important to talk about. Because this is information we need to understand and appreciate and live into while we have breath. Uh, we got some questions here for us. You got a few. Okay, I'd imagine. All right. I'll walk through some of these here. Uh, great questions coming through this okay. morning. I've been reading Paul's letters to the Corinthians, which speaks of our new bodies in heaven and how we will be raised from our old bodies. So 2 Corinthians 5.3 says, We will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. 1 Corinthians 15.44 says, We are buried as natural human bodies, but will be raised as spiritual bodies. So here comes the question. How should we view burial versus cremation? Some people, some believe we should leave our bodies intact at death and not be cremated. Personally, I don't see an issue. And so I guess that's the real big question kind of that I think a lot of people have is burial, cremation, what does scripture speak to that? Right. Yeah, and, and so cremation uh, or burial of a body. So we're in one sense, we're talking about um, cultural traditions. There are examples in scripture that where, where bodies were cremated in the Old Testament. And in those cases, usually cremation happened when there was a, a, it was either a form of, of punishment or a form of rejection or those sorts of things. So the early church preferred uh, and, and practiced burial also because of the associ association with this uh, judgment and rejection and so on. The other uh, reason that the early church preferred uh, burial was because of their strong-held belief in the body being the temple of God and wanting to show honor and dignity and respect to the physical body. What has happened over time is that um, the idea of the body and the resurrected body kind of gets a little confused. So some people are concerned also that if, if the body is cremated, that will have a bearing on their eternal life or resurrection. And we understand that that is simply not the case, either in terms of scriptural basis or in science. So when it comes to the practice of cremation or burial, I think we need to be very discerning. I think a lot of people, look, if we're going to just be transparent about it, a lot of people are making decisions based on... In our country, we don't have a problem with land. There are many countries that have challenges with land. Many countries do, don't have an option for a, a, a burial in the ground. They just don't. And depending on climate, they don't have an opportunity to even have a body stay around for very long. So there are cultural and, and, and different considerations. But I think we need to here be very discerning when we're making a choice about our, what we're going to do. And what are we basing our decisions on? Convenience, economy, it will not have a bearing on our resurrected body. The Lord created ex nihilo. He created out of nothing. He will raise us to a new kind of body. If the people that died a, a thousand years ago, I can tell you, the Lord is not got, you know, he could, but it's not that he's relying on that material. So I'm going to give that to you. Um, I, I want to respect 
But I, I feel like, listen, I, I think we need to really discern in all cases, and especially at times like that, what is the basis for the decisions we take? How about that? Good. Another great one coming through. I love how people are like, they're learning, they're, they're gleaning, they're studying. So this comes from uh, uh, having discovered this interim place recently in, in their study. And the question comes out of this. Do you think people listening will equate this interim place, as you've been describing for us, with purgatory? Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Maybe pull so, apart here. Purgatory, uh, that's another good question. Way to go, y'all. Um, so purgatory would be um, a concept uh, predominant in the Catholic faith tradition. And the idea of purgatory is that uh, depending on your life on earth, you either go directly to hell or you go directly to heaven or uh, uh, this in-between stage where there are different levels, like floors, and you might enter at one floor, etc. And there are things that you can do. I'm just telling you here. Okay? There, are things that you, there are things that you can do when somebody dies and they're in purgatory, if they're on the first, like, first floor and you want to move them to the third floor, there are penance, there are things that you can do, there is money you can pay. And the phrase uh, was actually, a tinkle in the box is a soul saved from hell. So you could bump people up along in the matter of purgatory. Scripture does not teach purgatory. Jesus is the only mediator of all of this. We appeal to Jesus only. We don't, we're not, no other human being or no other institution or entity has a say in um, our eternal destiny. It is through Jesus Christ. So he, he's, he's that one. And the reality, what Scripture says is that um, there are different kinds of judgment. The Lord is, is judging and making decisions about us when we live our life in the present, but then there's a judgment that comes when we die. The determination of whether you have eternal life or not is dependent on our faith and whether we believe and follow Jesus Christ as Lord. That's the determining factor. When you die, that is the judgment that takes place. Hebrews 9.27, and it is appointed for human beings to die once, and after this comes judgment. So that decision is made. The eternal state is made at that point, based on our faith. Yeah, I could go on. This is, these are like mini-series. Like, uh, do you know what I mean? Like, but anyway, these are good questions. I'm trying to just get right to it. You were missed last week. That's what this is. Okay. Uh, this builds on this, so, uh, and we can take this one a little bit further maybe later, but uh, in a previous sermon, you referred to a place or state that deceased believers are currently in. Is this paradise, and how does this place differ from eternal heaven? Okay. Uh, read that first part of the question. In a previous sermon, you referred to a place or state that deceased believers are currently in. Deceased believers are currently in. Is this in. paradise, or how does that differ from eternal heaven? Right. That's good. So, um, you know, deceased believers are currently in, and is that called paradise? And so that's another great question. And we're taking a word that we understand Jesus himself used. When Jesus was on the cross and there were two convicted uh, uh, felons there with him and one was making fun of him and he... Sorry. Yeah, right? And the other one said, you know, remember me. And Jesus said, tonight you, today you will be with me in paradise. I just want to park here for a second since you brought this up. 
I think we have the description of what happened there to give everybody hope. No matter what you might sense or feel, God through the Holy Spirit is the consummate evangelist. And it's never over till it's over. He ministers to people on their deathbed, in their dying moment, whatever form of desperation. He is there. And He is speaking to them. And if they respond, He responds and says, you will be with me in paradise. And I call that God's prerogative. Okay. So they are going to, that person is going to be with Him in paradise. So that is what I refer to as God's abode, where God is presently, where Jesus is presently. N.T. Wright describes it kind of like this. They're overlapping in the sense that there is this sense of that abode overlaps like a Venn diagram with where we are now. You could think of it as two hotel rooms with an adjoining door. There is a place. He is there. And followers that, that, that die are with him. But that is not the final destiny of followers of Jesus. That will be on earth under a beautiful sky with a physical body that is no longer temporal or will no longer uh, uh, decay. These are different. It's brilliant. Thank you. I, I want to just clear, clear that up. And we'll wrap it up with this one here that just Whew. came through here. Is it safe to say that heaven is somewhere up there as scripture says Jesus ascended? Right. And we'll end with that. Yeah, that's good. Um, I, there's a book um, called Metaphors We Live By. We use metaphors to try and, and make sense of and describe the life we are experiencing. We're using metaphors all day long and in every way to try and... And, and so, is it literally up there? If that helps you, then sure. We are talking about a dimension that is beyond our complete comprehension. And I am thankful for that. Because it is better than the smartest person. It is better than the materiality that we currently have. Yay! Right? So, yeah, ascended. He did go up. Where that place is, is beyond my, you know, G G GPS. <laughs> but it is a place and it is very real. And, and thank you for those good questions. That's Keep great. them coming. So with this, I'm going to invite the music team to come up. And I want to finish here this morning. Um, I want to sort of give myself an excuse that I just flew in last night, so I'm still a little bit, um, you know, sensitive and emotional. But some of you are going to say, uh, well, you always are. Um, I want to encourage you to do a spiritual health check to consider how much time you're spending on the physical and how much time you're spending on your emotional state your mental well-being your spiritual well-being and all of that because your spiritual well-being is vitally important you will get another body so I want to invite you into that. And I want to invite you into um, 
coming and going to and exploring who Jesus is and what he is like. We should, be, we should like, drive to our understanding of what Jesus is like. Jesus. It's Jesus. The Sunday school kids have it right. It's Jesus. And this is what disciple means. Disciple means student of Jesus. Let's learn about Jesus. Go into and learn about and understand and put on, bear that identity. I am a Jesus follower. I wear that identity. Paul puts it that way. He says, I, I put on the Lord Jesus Christ. I know for some it feels like, you know, one person had sent in a, a, an email saying that, um, you know, it can feel almost like God is playing a, a game with us because there's all this cancer and health issues and, and death and so on, and yet here we are. Well, the reality is that God wanted to be with human beings and he wanted to be in community with human beings. And so the moment he decided to create, he understood that it wasn't going to be perfect or ideal. But it is we that have wandered. We have wandered from the faith. We have pierced ourselves with many a pang. God is not playing a game. He is drawing us to him. He will bring us to him. You know, uh, uh, my daughter and I were talking this week about the realities of what we're talking about here and how important it is and facing uh, the realities of life and death and the hereafter. Nothing could be more important that shapes your life than following Jesus Christ. And the alternative is that you don't. You reject Him. She was uh, buried, a friend of hers who was 27. And that young adult group came face to face with the realities of what we're talking about. Last week we were with my parents and working through that as well. So I want to invite you into your spiritual health check and into following Jesus and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Bear that identity. That's who you are. Not your frail, frailties, not the, the shortcomings. That's not who you are. You're a child of God. You've been created in the image of God. Not only does he, you belong, you are wanted. And then I want you to, I want to invite you to notice the creation that's all around you. We're in spring. Notice what's actually going on. Notice, if you need to notice the science of it, notice the science of it. Notice what's going on. It's amazing. It's resurrection every spring. Holy notice. Be in a state of mindfulness. But then also treat, treat people and treat creation based on what you notice that every person is created in the image of God. Jesus Christ died for you. He made you. He loves you. He died for you. Every single person. You're a seed of promise. And then if you're trying to explain to somebody what's going on, start with Jesus and then just look around at creation and say, you know those seeds you put in the garden? Those carrot seeds? You know those beet seeds you put in the garden? Just start there. You're, you're with Paul. Amen.